January, oh my gosh, it was the biggest red herring because we all thought, yeah, 2020, new decade. Yeah, everything's going to be all good. And here we are. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to The Fit. Today, we've got an extra special episode. So seeing as we've made it to the end of 2020, hallelujah, we decided to have a roundup of the year in the world of fashion and pop culture. It has been a crazy, crazy year. And honestly, when we planned this episode, we were just looking back and thinking, I cannot believe this has just been 12 months. I don't think any of us thought December would look like this when we started in January. But we're here, so let's, let's just get straight into it. January, what did January even look like for us, Blake? So it's so funny because January literally feels like three years ago because it just feels so far removed from 2020. We were living life, we were chilling, we were going to the cinema, we were going shopping whenever we wanted, life was good, life was good. <laughs> there were whispers of COVID at the time, but I don't think anyone realised it was going to be as major as it was because, you know, every so often there is a random illness that shows up in a random part of the world and you know, somehow it just disappears. So I think in January, we're still very much in this false sense of security. Like, okay, yeah, this is a thing that's in China at the moment, um, but it will go. So for us, we had started recording our podcast episodes, I think late 2019. And we're just um, kind of tidying it up, getting our last few guests in in January. And that was the only time we were able to do face-to-face recordings, which is so crazy because we've actually done like this entire season has been remote and so was half the first season. Um, yeah, we were preparing for the launch. We were doing our e-fitter branding. Everything was so brand new. We were so innocent going into everything. We were like, yeah, here's our we're going to be launching this then and everything's going to be good. Oh my gosh. Wow. Only we knew. <laughs> can we can we just talk about the expectation that we had for 2020 like that alone deserves its own episode because the shock and the horror and you know what the in a way relief because I feel like we've just let things be in this whole year like we haven't really been like oh my god we didn't hit that we didn't hit this but we just didn't think we'd be in this situation like who I was saying to Blege the other day like we've we haven't seen each other in person since February, number one. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> and then secondly, we don't know what it's like to run a business outside of a pandemic because that's all we've known for the past however months it's been. And that in itself is crazy to me. But I think it's also set us up, um, set us up really, really well for longer term success because if ever we have to be fully remote ever again, you know, this is all we know. And this is actually what we've been built, building on. Everything that we've worked on so far has been remote from recording the podcast to building the branding, even user testing, which is something we'll get onto. Like in an ideal world, we wouldn't have done that remotely, but we made it work. Um, building the products, working with a remote team. It's just, you know, we made it work. So for that, I'm proud of us. And yeah, January... Oh my gosh, it was the biggest red herring because we all thought, yeah, 2020, new decade. Yeah, everything's going to be all good. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. I was saying how, because um, my birthday's in January and for my birthday this year, I had like, it was great. It was the ultimate self-care day and I was pretty much alone for the entire day. But on that day, I did everything that we're no longer allowed to do. Like I went to the cinema I took myself out for a nice meal. I went to the spa. I, it was great. You know, I even went and got like a piercing something. And now I'm just thinking, and my birthday's in a couple of weeks. And I never thought that <laughs> looking at my birthday approaching would be in the same position that we were in like nine months ago. And I'm angry, but you know what? It is what it is. Oh, I feel you. I feel like we this could have been avoided. We've said this so many times. Like we we don't have to be in this position if our, our government could be competent enough to have just had a handle on everything. But of course, that's too much to ask from the conservatives. Um, no other comment there. I'm, I'm just gonna leave that there. No. <laughs> um, but... 
Moving into February, I think for us, it was still very fresh, still very brand new. Like Blakey said, uh, November, we were recording with our guests and recording our solo episodes. And we were looking to launch, I think initially we were meant to launch like the last week of Jan. And then we pushed it back a week. Yeah, we pushed it back a week and launched in February. And honestly, I feel amazed that we have come this far and our family is growing we have over 100 subscribers. We have over 1,000 downloads, which is insane. Um, and we've only had 13 episodes. Um, it's the thing. Like, we always feel like, because we've been working on this for such a long time, that we've done loads and loads of episodes. But we've only done 13. So we're still a baby podcast. Very, very baby. And I think it's, it's partly because we had that break. And we thought we'd be back in, like, June or July. But I think that was literally the thick of the pandemic. And we didn't really know how we were going to balance like recording episodes with guests guests uh, podcast outreach and stuff so like i said earlier like a lot of things we just had to rethink um but we remained consistent we came back stronger with stronger guests um and a stronger season so i am so so excited for what the podcast looks like in a year's time from march to like may huh all right, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the genesis. Okay, because I don't think, every time we've spoken about COVID, it's been from the perspective of when we were in it. So it'll be interesting to kind of reflect on how we got to where we are. So we knew that this was a thing that was happening in January. In March, it came to the UK. I think in March, in February, it came to the UK. And in March, it was the first fatality. And I think that was the point where everyone was kind of like, oh crap, this is real. And what I remember is that everyday people including myself we started to self-isolate before the government announced any kind of lockdown and I remember because um it might we were were going to record something it might have been a podcast or maybe we're just having one of our meetings um because the last time we saw each other I think was when you came over and we're doing like we're putting together our first pitch deck or something I think yeah yeah we recorded it we had to record a video I remember yeah exactly and in March, we were like, okay, yeah, we're going to carry on recording as normal and so on. And we decided, yeah, no, we can do this remotely. So we had made this decision. A lot of my friends had made that decision that they weren't going anywhere way before the government said, by the way, you're actually in lockdown. So that was probably our first sign that this was not going to go well because there was no leadership. Like there was nothing going on. So we're plunged into this pandemic. People have to work from home. People are panicking. March was probably the most stressful year that I um, year. Yeah, basically. <laughs> March was a Can year. we talk? Can we talk? Can we talk about <laughs> the panic buying? Because I've never in my life seen people move mad like that ever. As in the richest, one of the richest countries in the world. People are fighting over tissue. Moving like zombie apocalypse. But you know what? I don't blame them because that's how unsecure we felt as a nation because of our government. When I look back now, I never really understood. And I was like, I don't blame it. Because if they had actually reassured us, like, we have things, we're not going to be out of stock of of tissue or pasta. I don't think people will be running like headless chickens. But people were because they weren't secure in that. Let's look at this one. Nothing's selling out because people have been here before. They They know what it looks like. But our prime minister stood up and said, be prepared to lose loved ones. Yeah, you know what? I, I, don't, I didn't want this to be a thing where we are really lamenting and dragging our government. <laughs> but it has to be said, like, those first few months were scary for absolutely everybody. Because when you're being told by the people who are leading your nation, some people are going to die, by the way, but it's all right, you know? It's all good. You know, survival of the fittest, that is basically what you're being told by your mm-hmm. leadership. Everyone... I understand why everyone was frantic. Everyone was stressed. The mood was just really tense. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, I think that period between March and May was just probably the craziest in life, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the levels of creativity that came out from people. <laughs> <laughs> like on a, on a personal note, so between March and March, April, May, um, I moved back to my mom's house. And I'd never been in my mom's house as an adult before. So that in itself was an experience. We were doing mad things like doing yoga every day, walking three miles, 
breaking, baking challah bread. Like, ask me if I'm Jewish. <laughs> you know? There was a lot of stuff going on that would have never happened under normal circumstances. And I'm kind of grateful for that period of quiet. How about you, Gabby? Did you do any weird and unusual things during lockdown? I didn't, but I loved watching the creativity just flourish because once one person does it it's like this ripple effect of content so like i think one of the funniest things was that 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 pillow challenge that every like influencers were doing and i was like the levels of boredom we all have to be at to get a pillow strap it to us like it's a dress and then take a picture and then post it like we have reached the ultimate level of boredom like it doesn't get any more bored than that um but it just really showed i think how resilient humans are like we were stuck at home we didn't have any other choice we couldn't you know well we could probably buy a gown but who's buying a gown when you're stuck at home so let's use the pillows you know it's conscious it's sustainable it's reusable love it i think that was a period where tiktok really took off as well everyone was literally just flicking through tiktok and it became this new way to create content to engage with people i think that period for me that was the most interesting how people were just making something out of nothing and it's so funny you mentioned this because I obviously I was aware of TikTok. I've like been aware of TikTok for years because we're of that age, just about. But I've never had any kind of inclination to go on TikTok or to look at anything on TikTok. And now it was kind of just being forced because people were reposting their TikToks onto Instagram. So it was just everywhere. And obviously then Instagram were like, oh, okay, maybe we need to up our game. They create reels, which is, in my opinion, grown folk TikTok which is why it's just not as, it's not as slick. <laughs> that it's is not, the perfect description. <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking about like the demography and I very much live on Instagram now, which is a crazy thing because a year ago I definitely didn't. And TikTok, I will never download TikTok. Like it's just not going to happen. And I tried to create reels and I'm just like, oh my God, I feel like a pensioner. I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> plan is for the young people but at the same time they've made that more accessible to us at the grand old age of 24 25 (laughs) i feel so old like when i look at social media i'm like what's trending now gen z are running things and i feel old it's it's crazy talking about instagram instagram lives that was that period for us it was yes everywhere as in 10 at night i would see my like stories um at the top of my feed and there'll be like one two three four five every single night for like weeks i was just like yes oh yeah because march was when um did you ever see club quarantine with dj d nice no i didn't oh girl girl. that was like the defining moment of lockdown in my opinion that and the versus battles but club quarantine first so um dj d nice he he's been a dj for like decades at this point um was probably best known for being the dj at, like bet awards and that kind of thing apart from being like not getting into the whole 80s hip-hop thing but anyway so what he started to do was because he realized that yeah i'm a dj and that relies on physical space he basically live streamed his dj setup from his home And it was like, I think the first one was only eight, nine hours DJing. And it got, at the time, this was groundbreaking. This is how you know that live really took off. But I think it was over 100,000 viewers. And now we've seen IG lives with like hundreds of thousands, millions at this point. But yeah, over 100,000 viewers, including all the celebrities. I think the Obamas were there and everything. People would just be there commenting. And it started an entire movement where he, like people, I followed Dean Nice because I wanted to see when he was going to do the next club quarantine. It was like a couple of times a week. It was just a great feeling where people are communing with people from around the world. And it was just, it was like nothing that I've ever seen before. And it could have never happened if it wasn't for us being in quarantine. So it was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, creativity, but also the social aspect. It was just really nice to behold that everyone really was going through it together around the world but we could have this moment just to like listen to music, dance, talk to complete strangers, you know? That is so true. And I love that word actually, because community has been a huge, huge driving force, I think, in retail alone. 
um, one thing that did shock me when stores were shut, brands were actually seeing that despite everything being moved online, people were still craving for that real in-life experience as you would get in a brick and mortar. And that has nothing to do with feeling, the, well, it, it does have some aspect to do with feeling the clothes and, you know, but it's a whole experience of actually walking to a store, being with your friends, meeting other people that like the same things as you do. Social commerce, I think, really took off this year, which is why Instagram has really um, invested a lot in like Instagram shop, because they do realize that the whole idea of having the community, sending items, sharing what you're buying, doing it all through the same social network or the same social space matters. It makes a difference in the whole experience. And I think that that's one thing that I've, I've seen drive a lot of decisions that brands have made throughout this year is the sense of community that people needed more than ever. Yeah, no doubt. So obviously we had to go and jump on the IG Live bandwagon because... Of course. No better opportunity and, you know, we're recording remotely anyway. So we're like, why not? Except both of us were like, oh my God, we're already doing this live in front of a camera. <laughs> Honestly, I literally wanted to vomit. Like, if you know me, you know me. I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh gosh. But we did it and it worked. Yeah. And I think personally, I thought it was a bit of a turning point in terms of building the eFitter community because it widened our reach. And also it consolidated those early, early listeners, those early members of our community into like, you know, the lifelong eFitter fans. And I think those IG lives made it a lot easier for us to, you know, have those conversations later on when we were testing the product and just getting a feel for who is part of our community. So yeah, guys, thanks for joining those IG lives because we really thought no one was going to join or we'd just be talking to ourselves when we already have stage fright and it would have been peak. But yeah. It all worked out. <laughs> it definitely did. And that does mean we need to do it again because we've been lacking in, in that area. Yep, yep, Blakey will do. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes right now for the people listening. From June, I think June was a very heavy month for a lot of black people around the world um, with the rise of, I don't want to say rise, but with the spotlight on Black Lives Matter. I think for me, looking if we're doing this from like retrospect and we're looking back, I I'm quite wary of the performative nature that a lot of brands took over this period. Because if if you look at them now, you will see that most of them have not changed. And if they have, it's just, you know, a black model here and there. Mm-hmm. There was no there's not been much of an upheaval in terms of their in terms of their day-to-day, how they do business, how they consider the Black community and Black creatives and Black consumers. So the only perspective that I can really have, obviously, is my own. And what it felt like to me was that the response from Black people during this resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement was a lot more visceral, a lot more powerful. Um, People seemed just tired they it felt like they were like you know what enough is enough I've had enough at this point and I'm not saying that people didn't feel the same way back in 2016 or whenever 2015 when this was happening the first time around but it just feels like people are like I've experienced this already enough is enough um I had this conversation with some of my friends because when I was in university which was when the first wave was happening um a lot of us were very much in that whole activist space so we were already like, we're going to protest and so on and so forth. So when this happened this time, we actually felt the opposite, which was just exhausted, but not exhausted into action. Kind of like, you know what, we've seen this before, what's gonna come of this? Almost defeated before anything had, had actually happened, which was kind of disappointing. So, you know, there were times when we would sit together and we'd have a chat and be like, okay, this is what, our workplace is now saying or doing, which is different to what they said or did last time, which was nothing, but is anything going to change? So there was a big exercise there where I think we had to kind of reframe our thinking because, you know, if you are sitting there being pessimistic about the future, then nothing will change, you know, because there's no impetus for it to change. So um, having said that, I think it was promising the fact that so many brands felt like they had to engage. It got to a point where um, people were being called out. Brands were being called out for not engaging, which I have mixed feelings about. 
because on the one hand i'm like if this is a social issue and you're benefiting from say black people or black cultures then you're obligated to speak on this however if they don't speak on it i would rather know exactly where that brand stands you know um i think one of the most contentious brands in this time i think it was coinbase so coinbase is a fintech where you're able to trade um, in cryptocurrency and the ceo has been writing a number of posts on medium and it all started basically saying we don't engage in politics if you want to engage in politics leave that at the door <laughs> no no that was a very real thing so basically um they said yeah leave your politics at the door and if you have a problem with that you're welcome to leave we'll give you a severance package and people did leave you know it was a really big thing in like the world of um tech in i think september october time because obviously their black employees will be like yo what's your position you know there's so much going on you said nothing what is happening and yeah that's that was their position loud and clear so for me i find it i kind of appreciate that because I'm, at least i know that coinbase do not give a damn I don't like it when those businesses kind of say, put out a statement and be like, oh yeah, we care about the black people. And then next thing you know, there's a post coming up from a black employee saying, actually we're treated like X, Y, and Z, which we saw a lot of all summer. Google. It was a a lot to kind of navigate. But at the same time, as black people often do, they dealt with this with humor to some degree. So you see a lot of these memes and stuff as well. So obviously black square gate, Humor is like our first source of like relief for the pain. Um, I think that's going to trend throughout the entire year for everyone. Yeah, I think it's become really apparent that because the year was so tough, I just feel like the content has been exceptional. <laughs> we one thing that we haven't mentioned is in conjunction with the Black Lives Matter resurgence. This is when the first conversations about um, poor treatment in the fashion industry started to come up. So. Um, then there was an overlap because disproportionately the people who are affected by poor fashion practices are women, specifically women of colour, mostly in Asian countries. So it was a question of, okay, if you really do care that the lives of, um, you know, quote, minority, because I don't like that term, but you know, but the lives of minority people matter, then we have to be paying attention to the fashion industry and supply chain as well, which is where that all came from. Exactly. And I'm really happy it did happen this year. But one thing that we, well, I personally felt was apparent is this has been going on for years. Um, And it was only within the pandemic, within our own suffering, that did we realise that, oh my God, we're suffering because we can't go out, but people are suffering because they're not getting paid. It really just shifted my perspective on fashion. I don't think I'll ever, ever, ever look at the fashion industry the same. I think um, the major positive that has come from all of this is that we're able to talk about it and we're talking about it freely because everything that you've just described, I think it's stuff that we, we have known this, even when we weren't engaging with fashion in the way that we do now. We've known this since we were kids. Like when we used to shop at Primark and get 50p t-shirts or whatever, we used to know that it came from like very, very cheap labor. We just didn't really think of it that way, but we knew. And Those conversations have been had for years, as you said, but the fact that we are having those conversations and brands are being held to account for me signals maybe, maybe that there is a slight shift happening. I would like to think so. Um, I think the fact that everyone's been at home this year, we've had a lot of time to think, we've had a lot of time to research. (laughs) I think people become activists to some degree about something or anything, whether it's, I mean, whether it's the fact that um, fashion labor is unjust or that the NHS is not being treated fairly or that our government is corrupt, people have, like, they've got a reignited passion for activism in something. And I think that that's the reason we're able to have these conversations. And I think as long as everyone still remains critical and we still have that fire and we're still willing to, to ask those questions, to hold brands to account, to hold governments to account, then things will change. Now, July was interesting. And honestly, July should have been different. It should have been no different from June in the sense that we should have still stayed at home. That's my opinion. Drops mic, exits the conversation. (laughs) But no, stores reopened. And we saw what 
I think we kind of expect it would happen. People would just kind of go back to normal in terms of shopping where they were shopping before. There were predictions for the luxury market to bounce back in like this U-shape or V-shape curve. I don't think that happened as much as they expected early on. China did well though. China did do well in the luxury market. But yeah, life went back to normal. Our first batch of user tests were in July, right? Yes. Um, Also in July, I think that was when we were on a little... um, incubator program as well so a lot of work was being done behind the scenes with ether and like building the business because what i think had happened between march and july is you know we're individuals and we also work full-time and we were feeling the weight of the pandemic as much as everybody else i think we just didn't think it would last this long when i look back i think in march we're just like "Mm, let's just you know push things back let's just wait even Mm -hmm. at work we're just like yeah a couple months couple weeks we did not think, and I think by July we realised, okay, clearly <laughs> this isn't going anywhere, so we need to step it up again. Exactly. And we had the time to re- kind of regroup and think, okay, what do we actually want to do and when do we want to do it by? So being a part of that programme was very helpful because, you know, you just had that push. So one of the first things that we did was um, we properly scoped out what we want our product to be, um, which is very different to what we're building right now. <laughs> And at the time, we tested it with a group of um, beta testers who I think we contacted most of them one-to-one and then some kind of like heard it through the grapevine and like, hey, we want to test too, which was great. Um, Got loads of feedback from that and thought, okay, we have something to work with. Also in July was the Telfar craze. So I, I... when it was happening, I had to do a lot of research because I was just so intrigued. Like, where is this ha- Why is this happening? So um, Telfar is a Black-owned, high-end designer brand. And the first version of the Telfar brand um, bag was released in 2014. So six years ago. And yet, it wasn't until, I'd say, last year when the first kind of rumblings of like a, a trend or a craze started to come about which again proves that no one is an overnight success, by the way, like there's always grind and work going into this. So this year, the reason the Telfar bag became as popular as it was is because again, we're at home, we were spending stupid amounts of time on social media. I know I was, it was ridiculous. So so Telfar, they decided to take advantage of this moment and their marketing tactic was basically a series of memes because what had happened previously was whenever they dropped, things sold out because they already had quite a cult following, especially in New York. So um, they started to make memes, basically um, parodying how people behave when Telfar drops. So it was like all these like videos and gifts and they got like massive share value. So they were being shared, they went viral. And then when the next Telfar drop happened, everyone went nuts because they'd already seen that reaction and they basically mimicked it. So I was like, oh my God, this is flipping genius. <laughs> so smart. I love stuff like this. <laughs> so that was basically it. So next thing you know, you know, Oprah's got her Delphar bag. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has got hers. All the celebs have got theirs. ASAP Ferg's got his. And I think my favorite thing about it is it normalized the fact that A, um, luxury can be for everybody. And B, by everybody, we mean we're not discriminating Um, based on race based on sex or anything it's literally accessible to everyone and I think that only really could have happened it come from Telfer who himself is a queer black man so yeah like I just found that I think this was probably the biggest moment in luxury fashion this year in my opinion and in terms of like viral content in terms of everybody talking about it and everyone wanting it and there were some really stupid hot, hot takes as well which um, I take issue with when a black business, a high-end black business is successful and then people expect them to lower their standards to some degree, either lower their prices or say, oh, it's unprofessional to sell out. But I mean, that's actually what luxury goods do. So there was a lot of conversation and that probably all worked in their favour, to be honest. So I'm here for it. It, it was fascinating for me because honestly, I'd never heard of them, I don't think, before this year. So when I saw, like, I think... They must have had a drop around that time and everyone was just tweeting about this. And I think there was also an issue with bots that they had because I think bots realised, okay, this is a sellout moment. It's going to sell out. Let's get them and then resell. And the resale value is there because people want it. The demand is high. 
And I was just so fascinated by that because I was just like, you only really see this with like Yeezys and Off-White and, you know, that streetwear cult label following to have that with a black luxury fashion brand. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, I think it was in our episode with um, Yurena from Cashmere where she said that luxury fashion's biggest pitfall is the fact that they're not online in the way that they should be. They're not engaging with their customers online properly. And there is something about this brand that is being run by, I guess, you know, a young black person where they're going to be more in touch with what is going on in culture. So it works in their favor. And in my opinion, I think we're going to see a lot more of this in the next five to 10 years. So those heritage luxury brands are really going to play catch up. The one thing that I also thought about um, as a result of this that we spoke about probably in our very first episodes was influencer marketing. So we were talking about how um, the concept of influencers is probably not as widespread as it was maybe three years ago. And that the typical influencer that you pay to wear your clothes is dying because people can see through it. But what I saw with Telfar was just an organic group of influencers because it was not only the celebs, it was also like your favorite IG influencer. It was also micro influencers. It was people who are ranging across the spectrum from you know musicians and athletes to politicians. So it just had that universal appeal. And I think that um, maybe influencer marketing is not dead, but maybe it has this new form where it's so organic that you're getting the people with the widest reach on board without even asking them to do anything. That is it. Organic reach, I think, is what the brands that have done well this year in terms of influencers is through organic reach. Because this year, I think we've been over the perfect picture, the perfect influencer. That It doesn't work. We've been through a pandemic and back, and we're probably going, God forbid, through another one. Relatable people, people that are real, people that are not posting an ad because it's an ad, but because they actually wear the item, they love the item, they believe in it. That is way more value, I think, for the average consumer than, you know, the old influencer style that we, we were used to when it first came about. And Telfer shows that. I think also Fenty Beauty shows that, you know, the rise of the new brands with the cult following is only because influencers are as real as the people buying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, do, it does matter. It definitely makes a difference. So they decided, okay, this pandemic is over in the UK. So we're going to launch the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. So for those who are listening from abroad, um, our government in their infinite wisdom decided that from Mondays to th- Monday to Wednesday in the evening, you could go to a select number of shops, um, restaurants, sorry, and shop half price if you eat in. When it was first announced, I remember there were two distinct responses. The first was, oh my gosh, half price food in a restaurant. I haven't been to a restaurant for so long. I need this in my life, which was, you know, justified. And the second was, this is going to cause like massive super spreader events. And that is what we saw. I get the sentiment. I, I did understand it. Like when he announced it, I got it. I also thought this was very expensive for the government because that 50% was being covered by the government, right? So half mm-hmm. the price was being paid for the gov- um, by the government. And I was thinking, in a world where we've actually had everything shut down for three months, the economy is clearly struggling, we're in a recession at that point, there has got to be a better way to stimulate the economy than, you know, forcing the virus to be spread amongst diners. And I think around that time, that was when the first, yeah, that was when the first conversation in the UK about um, school meals was happening. So for some people who are in lower, um, lower income backgrounds, they're eligible for free school meals. And that is during term time. However, because this year has been unprecedented, um, there was calls for them to extend the free school meals into the summer holidays because people have lost their jobs en masse. Um, some people were not covered by the furlough scheme. And it was just a mess, you know. And I remember originally the government was like, nope, no way, I'm not going to do it. Nope. And then it took a young footballer <laughs> by the name of Marcus Rashford to rally the government. But, um, but yeah, we saw that in August. The government made a, a decision, then they U-turned, but they could afford to you know, cover people's food when they're eating out, but not children when they can't eat at home. Wonderful. And I think that was a moment where, um, again, the dynamic in the UK shifted a little bit. Um, one of the things we didn't really speak about is during that first lockdown between around March and June, 
people were so nice, <laughs> you know, like there was very much like a community feel. There was very much like, oh yeah, we're all in this together. You know, the whole silly clapping for the NHS thing. Like, yeah, as in the sentiment was great and everything. Not that it was doing anything for our NHS workers, but you know, people were very much a part of a community, but it felt like in August when things started to open up, the country just felt a little bit fractured. It was partially because there were different rules in different regions and people always feel like the South are getting preferential treatment. So it was just a weird time. It was kind of like the government won't do it, so we'll do it. But that shouldn't be the case. Exactly. Likewise with the whole um, Captain Tom walking laps around his garden. Why should it be on a hundred year old man to be raising money for the NHS, which by the way is not a charity? which is funded by our tax, our taxes. Why are we in this situation? It was just really sad to me. I think this year has really highlighted that this country that has always positioned itself as, you know, prosperous and successful and all of that, it's nothing. It really isn't. Because we've seen, and this isn't just because of the pandemic, we've seen the way other countries have handled it. We've seen the way Australia, New Zealand in particular, have handled it, even in Europe although the cases were fairly high in Germany, they handled it better than we did. And the reality is what we talk about on our podcast, fashion, technology, it's all political. Which is why even when Coinbase said, nah, we're not we're keeping politics out of this, to keep politics out of something means to basically allow a certain group of people to be oppressed. Everything we talk about yeah. is political and it would be ignorant of us to just kind of glide by and be like, oh, it's not fashion related. So, you know. So one of the major um, changes that happened as a result of COVID is people couldn't get married and have their massive weddings of hundreds of people. Um, I think originally you could only have 15 people, then they got expanded to 30 people. So it's been between around 15 and 30 people. Yep, back and forth, you turn, that's what the government <laughs> does. You know. So um, one of the really interesting things that happened in the world of fashion as a result of that is the rise of vintage dresses. I think there was something like a 100% increase in vintage bridal searches um, and that was partially sparked by um, Princess Beatrice. I always get Beatrice and Eugene mixed up. I think it was Beatrice who got married and they say they marketed it as saying oh yeah she got married in a vintage dress which was actually the Queen's. Um, it was like a rental from some high-end bridal company or something and it belonged to the Queen. So she popularized the, the second-hand bridal dress. Would you wear a secondhand bridal dress? Hmm. I think the honest answer is I haven't really thought much about like what I'd get married in. So <laughs> I don't think I'd wear a dress, you know? Really? I like, yeah. I feel like I would do like a Solange slash Elaine Welteroth and kind of wear either like a jumpsuit or a cape style situation. If I could get that secondhand, then yeah, I absolutely would. I think it's more a style thing. If I could find something that suited me, then yeah, why not? Because you know it's only been worn once. One thing that for like the wedding, the bridal, because I have a friend that's getting married and, you know, a lot of people are rethinking how they've done weddings. And in our culture, it's like the the party of the century. <laughs> it's like the biggest party you ever have in your life, you know? And a lot of us from a young age have been dreaming of like the traditional side and the white wedding and you know how many people want a big one I certainly have but I found that people have been rethinking not only because of the numbers of people they can invite but money it yeah. just doesn't make as much sense to go all out all crazy brand new dress brand new this that you wear once in a pandemic um so I'll be really interested to see how the bridal space in like fashion takes off from here like are they gonna offer a bridal rental service way more than actually buying a dress. I would actually do that. I think I would. I would. Love to see that. I would love to see a rise in bridal rentals. Because again, the idea of spending, you know, eight <laughs> I've I've seen eight thousand pound dresses, you know, two to eight thousand pounds on a dress that you're gonna wear once. I don't know. It just it doesn't sit well with me. But also I remember as a kid thinking that this is a like a real waste of money <laughs> of all the things I'm going to spend on during my wedding. This one dress I'm going to wear once, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me for sure. But I think we haven't got there yet. So <laughs> we can, we can calm down for a bit, but I think I'll be very interested to see if that 
you know, rental businesses that we know now, like Baritation or any other branch into that space eventually, because that would be a huge market, I think. We saw House of CB this year launch their bridal collection. So it definitely, there is a market for it. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if it's just us or just me, but a lot of people got married this year. Weddings yeah, were everywhere. Stop anyone, you know. <laughs> Do you also think it's because um, you don't have that additional pressure of having to invite all your mum's friends because you're like, only have 30 people exactly i like my friend she loves it she's she's loving it she's like this is a dream come true because you can really narrow in that list and think about i don't even like you i don't know why you're at my wedding i think it's made people rethink what that looks like for our culture that is scary because we are used to big crowds and like everyone going to the whole party even though they weren't invited right (laughs) it will be so interesting to see what that looks like post-pandemic as well yeah, I think the other wedding related thing that we saw during the pandemic was the digital fittings. So um, I think we posted something on our Instagram about that. Do you remember what yeah, we did? Um, a lot of people said no. <laughs> a lot of people said no. They were like, maybe the first ever one, because you know you have several fittings. Yeah, they could do it virtual. Someone said that. But most people were like, no, sorry. So October. We're free again, allegedly, because the pandemic is over again. <laughs> and we launch our second season. Woo-hoo. So let's talk about this. So um, funny enough, I think the prep for the second season was a complete blur to me. I don't really remember a lot of it. It was more of a, like a rebrand. So we just, you know, switched up what we looked like. We thought about how, what direction we wanted to go in terms of the theme. And I think a big one for us was like pivoting in a pandemic. How did businesses change how they did things in a pandemic? And also the tech space, you know, like digital technology and advancements in the space that would affect retail. I think we kept that um, in there, but we also did not only speak to people, but spoke about the whole shift from being in person to working from home. Yeah, I think what was interesting is in the first season, the gap between our first recording and our first release was like three, four months. I think December, January, February, three months. So um, this time it was very much like here is a recording and then a couple of weeks later or a week later it's been released. So it feels like this season has been a lot quicker in terms of what we've been putting out there. Um, It also feels like on a personal note that we've kind of got the hang of the whole podcasting thing. Um, I've really enjoyed the episodes that we've um, recorded, especially with the guests this season. And yeah, it was a lot more, it was a lot easier to be personal because we felt a lot more comfortable. I think I'd be really interested to hear what everyone else thinks about this season compared to last season, you know, as ever, leave a review. We'd love to see it. Yeah, 100%. I think, like you said, we're more comfortable with how we do this whole podcasting thing. Because let me tell you guys, it's not easy. So this season, I think we felt more comfortable in this space. And we did feel, I don't want to say ambitious, but confident to approach, you know, bigger people um, in in the tech space, in the fashion space. And that shows. And this season is not even done yet. I don't think, I think we're about halfway now. So it'll be really interesting to see where we go from here. The other way that people have been supporting us is by buying our merchandise, which has been crazy. Oh my God, how did I forget merch? Yes. <laughs> done so much this year. <laughs> yeah. Guys. The other day I saw somebody um, wearing our ethos hoodie, someone I know, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually real. I know. So November now, back in lockdown. Let's talk about our Black Friday launch. And I know a lot of people are like, launch? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so in November, um, we were working in earnest to get the product out. And the reality is what we're building, um, just in case you are unaware of what we're building, we're building a plugin that will allow you to predict your size based on your historic purchases when you're shopping on certain sites to begin with. And also to give you some additional information about things like the material, what does 70% polyester actually mean in practice, you know? Um, we started to do the research for the product in late October, early November. And the first part of it was done, did the first part of the actual data collection. And then 
as more and more of the research has been done, we realised this is actually so much more complicated than we even imagined, which is fine. It's still doable, but it was more than just, okay, you do this bit and then you do that bit and then you do that bit and then you put it all together. So with that in mind, we kind of had to change strategy a bit. So the plan originally was to launch by the end of November um, in time for Black Friday to make the most of football on these websites. Obviously that did not happen, which was, I mean, it was okay. It wasn't the end of the world for, for us. We were also just occupied with a lot of other stuff. Um, so we had to revisit and think, how do, we, how do we go about this? How do we build our product? So um, reconvened, figured out actually it's best to kind of just do it all in one go with a third party. And that's where we are. So the good news is the product is currently a work in progress. It's being built as we speak, which means we're hoping for a launch very, very, very soon. And I'm super excited to just get it out there. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, but I think, like we said, this year has been all about self-discovery as individuals, but also as a business. And we had a long way to go in terms of redefining what the product looked like. When we talk about our user tests, they weren't for fun. <laughs> they were literally to figure out what it was you guys needed and wanted and would use. Because we can figure out and conjure up this amazing product, but if it doesn't solve the problem that you guys have, it, it it's just a waste of time and a lot a waste of a lot of money. I'm not glad that it took this long, but I'm glad that we've come to a place where we know what we're doing. We know that it's needed. And from here on out, it's as simple as just building from that. So yeah, I don't want to call it a fail because it wasn't a fail. It was just a readjustment to the launch date. <laughs> so now I think we're better equipped. Okay, so that brings us to now, December. This month feels like, apart from month, um, March, it's been the longest month of the year. <laughs> I think at the beginning of December, we were in tier two. <laughs> that's, that's, do you see what I mean? Like December 2nd was the mm. end of November's lockdown, right? And he, yeah, yeah. I think, so he yeah. took us out of lockdown then and put us in tier two. So I instantly knew that this government just wanted these restaurants, these cafes, the businesses to stay open in London. They wanted as much foot traffic, especially with Christmas. And I think we started getting a hint of 24-hour retail. Stores like Primark need those 24 hours. We know what happened in March. They were shut for three months, shut. And I'm just like, okay, great, 24-hour retail. Before we could even get there, tier four. A tier that did not exist a week ago. <laughs> I remember my first response when they said, oh, yeah, um, between the 23rd and 27th or whatever, you know, COVID is cancelled. <laughs> I remember my first response was, um, and this may sound like a bit of a reach, I was like, something about this feels racist in the sense that, um, you know, the Muslim community has gone through two Eids in lockdown. Um, there are all of these festivals that these different religions have missed out on. Diwali was cancelled there was no like massive firework displays and so and so on and so forth but somehow they could find it within themselves to make an exception for christmas and i was just like okay this is very suspect but also we knew that the r rate was going up how is this going to be practically possible and it was the fact that they said that these are the rules then they doubled down and then it wasn't until the last possible minute as usual that they made this u-turn that affected millions of people in the southeast so it's like, yeah, you're right. I get it when people are making their mass exodus, the gentrifiers are going back to their homes in the Southwest and um, in the Midlands or whatever. I understand. But I feel really bad for those small businesses like, um, you know, the nail salons that are literally listening to the news while they're doing someone's nails and knowing that they can't open tomorrow during peak period for them. Um, you know, the, the gyms, the small independent gyms, the studios and so on that have had to close yet again with no notice. It just, I don't know, it, it left a real bitter taste in my mouth considering that there was just no real care given to these individuals who are losing their livelihood in the busiest time of the year. I think that in conjunction with Brexit, um, it worries me a little bit because like you said, there are queues around Kent of lorries that are trying to get to Calais at this point. Um, thankfully that board has been open they're still working on the Netherlands we don't have a deal with um, the EU at this point 
So there is every possibility that the first couple of weeks of January, there are going to be real issues for supermarkets. Um, that's just supermarkets. I wonder how that's going to impact the fashion industry as well, because we've already seen how the supply chain, the broken supply chain, it has a knock-on effect. There were smaller brands that couldn't get their clothing in. The larger brands were unable to pay. Um, well, they say they were unable to pay their workers because they weren't getting any revenue if their stores were shut. So it's just, I'm a bit worried that even once this pandemic ends, we're still going to be seeing the same issues for a little while. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want us to end this on a bad note, though, because, I mean, a lot can happen in two weeks. We could hit December 30th and they're like, oh, it's gone. You know, let's let's keep the faith. <laughs> Seven days. But, <laughs> <laughs> let's keep the faith. But it it's gotten to the point where we kind of just have to keep going because if we don't, we're going to end up in this cycle of false hope. It gets crashed down again. Like you said, for the fashion industry, what does that look like for the supply chain? No one wants to end December feeling like, you know, we've hit rock bottom and there's no way out. But one news that I did love this month, actually, and it literally was a day ago, was this news of Jerry Lorenzo and Adidas Basketball Partnership. I really do love Fear of God. Like, I, I came across them early this year, I think. I think he did call this partnership unprecedented, and I do agree. I think it's it's a really monumental partnership for the brand and it solidifies his presence I think in athleisure what are your thoughts on that yeah I think this is really promising and it's exciting because again it's a luxury brand um independent brand that is very much in touch with a younger audience in touch with millennials and they're tapping into a market that seems to only be growing so um two of the product categories that did really well this year were intimates so you're at home like comfy underwear and whatever and athleisure because people were doing so many home workouts but also it's just nice to lounge in so I think it's a real win for um, fear of God I also think on a personal perspective I think it's really refreshing to see a brand and a person who is very strong-willed about how they about their views um, in this case about his faith and it's getting mainstream coverage and he hasn't felt like it there's a reason for him to kind of dim that sparkle in any way so yeah it's exciting and I really hope that we see more partnerships like that with other innovative brands like that um this year has been pretty good for these luxury streetwear brands I think um Pymos had a good year too so hopefully we see more of this in 2021 oh yeah also an obvious Adidas one that we forgot Ivy Park <laughs> I didn't forget <laughs> <laughs> wow okay on that note Thanks for listening, guys. Um, This year has been trying. It has tried all of us, but you have made it through. We've made it through. And as tough as it has been, I really want to believe that it can only get better from here. Amen to that. We'll see you next year. Wow. Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage however you listen to your podcast. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.